Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. Very special guest today. I first uh, heard of the heard of this guest because he was posting such amazing pictures on the uh, XGO, official XGO Facebook group, and they were just so damn interesting. I reached out to him, see if he would be a guest. He graciously agreed. He grew up in Alhambra, just outside LA, now living in San Diego. His first season, get this, was in December 1980 in Magic Haiti. He was going there to be a, a stagiaire, to be a choreographer, regisseur. Eventually became a light engineer, but he's going to explain all that for us. So please help me give a warm my first season welcome to Mr. Doug Evanson. Hey, Doug, how are you today, sir? Hey, Greg, thank you very much. I'm doing fine. Okay, great, great. So are you are you ready to light this fire, as the kids say? I'm going to do my best to keep it interesting for everyone. It's been a long time. 1980 is a number of years ago, but I'll try to keep the memories fresh. Well, I hear the 80s were the best time, were they not? I can, you know, I think so. There were 100 villages all around the world. We were moving every six months uh, at that time. So it was uh, quite an experience. It was interesting constantly. Okay. You know, you're right about that. Now, so how we do here in the show is I'm going to ask you to take me back in time. Yeah, you were kind enough to supply me with a brief bio of yourself. I, I know at one point you did get a um, scholarship for theater. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in high school and, and was into sports and theater. And, and I did very well in the all school play that year and won a, a minor financial scholarship to college. Now, was there a certain type of uh, theater that you, was it the Bard Shakespeare or was it anything? Yeah, I was doing theater. So anything that we were doing, I mean, that wasn't my primary thing. I mean, I was mostly into football and basketball and doing all of those things. But off season, which was in the springtime approaching summer, we were into theater. We did little Shakespeare in high school. It was mostly musicals. And then the, the play that I was renowned for was called Flowers for Algernon. And I played Charlie. They they made a movie out of it late, uh, later in life. Uh, due to that performance, I won a small scholarship and it took me on to college. All right. Now, from what I've seen from 80s, 80s uh, high school movies, being an athlete like yourself, football and basketball didn't often go to theater, right? But you were doing both. Am, am I right? Was that, um, was that common uh, back yeah. then? It wasn't, but my my theater director always said, you need to be an athlete if you're going to be a good actor. You need to have great physical agility and coordination because acting is half doing lines and half stage action. In Club Med, I would say it was 90% stage, stage action. So um, it's funny, when I, they were looking for dancers originally when I was a sophomore in high school. And I had done some grammar school theater just messing around. I, I was never had a problem with public speaking. So I just went ahead and uh, and went into that dancer program. And in the off seasons, that's what I was doing in the spring and uh, and early summer. It was theater and the fall and winter. It was football and basketball. Now, were you still in school when you found out about Club Med? I was just finishing college. I had 19 quarter units left to complete to get my degree. And um, my father had been to Club Med about three years earlier. He had gone to Guadalupe on his honeymoon and had come back with his, sorry to say this was his fourth wife at that time, <laughs> had come back and said, you know, <laughs> you need to work there. You should, this is a place where you need to work. And I just sort of, you know, blew it off. I didn't think much of it at the time. And then I was, you know, I was working. Obviously I worked all through college. No one paid my way to anything. 
And uh, but you could do it back then in the 80s, uh, pay your way through in the late 70s, pay your own way to college. So I was doing that. I was working in early childhood development. And then after I ended that and got a job as a stage manager for a theater in Downey, California, that was actually paying me $10 an hour in 1979. That's big money. Anyway, uh, there I was I did that for about a year. I was still going to school all this time, just finishing up. And a friend of mine, Mark, got, saw an ad in the uh, L.A. Times for Club Med was looking for theater directors. It was a two-line little ad in the in the old newspaper ads. Most of you probably don't even remember those. <laughs> they did interviews. They called us to uh, the Universal Hilton. I mean, where are they going to go to look for theater people, right? Hollywood. So that's what they did. They put it off and they got a room in Universal Hilton. And I think they scheduled 30 or 40 interviews. I'm not sure exactly how many. It was, uh, uh, it was there that I went and met Stu Rager, who was doing the organizational activities for that stage program. And she eventually invited 15 of us down there. And Sue, she, I guess she worked out in head office, this uh, Sue Rieger? She was a, a well-known regisseur. She wasn't really in the offices. She was always in villages, but they had tapped her to do organize this particular stagiaire program. It's always that way for registered stagiaires. Both times, and I went through the program twice, and both times it was, uh, the second time it was a register I knew from previous seasons. And then this time, of course, my first season, it was it was Sue. And, okay. uh, and so she was there. And uh, you also mentioned in your bio that the friend that found found the ad for you basically applied with you. And four days before he was scheduled to leave or she was scheduled to leave, they 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 chickened out. Is that correct? You know, it was my oldest friend, Mark. We grew up across the street from each other. I've known him since I was two years old. He found the ad. He knew I was in the theater. I went there. When he was doing his interview, there was a written part and he was first. So he came down and I sort of helped him with some answers because I was the one who was in the theater. And he went back up and then I went up second and met Sue. I remember the only question I missed was the difference between omnidirectional and unidirectional microphone. I was an actor, not a tech guy. Anyway, so uh, Sue uh, picked us both up and then Mark, It was we were going to leave in two weeks. And then Mark, three days before we were going to go, he decided, oh, you know, I don't really know. This woman changed this. And it does. It changes your whole life. It truly did mine. So um, he chickened out and a friend of mine who was a fraternity buddy of mine, I was in Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity, and he, uh, his name was Paul Lees, and he jumped on the, the ticket with me and I called Sue and I said, look, I got someone. I, I, I think he'll, he'll work for you. And on my word, they, uh, they invited Paul and Paul came with us to Haiti. Now, did any of this interview did it or the job at the time did it require you to be able to dance well i was going for a stagiaire for regisseur so yeah so how did she determine if you could dance and we're not bsing her just to get there, in there was no i really didn't know what she was hiring for we sat in a in a hotel room and talked there was no physical demonstration of any of my abilities oh wow I okay <laughs> think she she had a different aspect of it she knew that she was looking for outgoing people, people who got along good with people who were easily easy talkers, who could, who were her, the type of people who could be good at club med. And then she was going to start with people who would be good for club med and whittle it down to ones that could be registers. So many good dancers just can't be good at club med. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You have to be a jack of all trades, right? <laughs> you have to be really an adventurer. I think you have to have an adventurous lifestyle. You know, when I was younger, I was in the middle of college. I took six months off right in the middle. This would have been 1982. 
And 15 of us took three stations wagons all the way down through Mexico, through Guatemala and Honduras. We left the cars in La Ceiba, Honduras, and took the boat off to Roatan, an island where we camped up in the hills for three weeks. So I've always been a bit of an adventurer. In fact, that coming back from that trip was my first experience on a DC-3, which I've in Club Med, I later had, had another experience on a DC-3, which if you don't know, is the tail-dragging two-engine prop plane you see on Indiana, Indiana Jones. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's get back to December 80. Now, from, from the time of your interview to, you know, how long did you wait to hear back from Sue? Weeks, months, days? It was probably, you know, two or three weeks. Uh, it was, that's sort of funny, too, because I was at a football game with my father at the Coliseum, and my friend Mark was at my house. You know, my friends hung out at my place even when I wasn't there. And so it was at my my apartment with my, my friend, other friend, Greg. And I got paged over the Coliseum, the Coliseum, an emergency call from the Coliseum. Of <laughs> and it was hilarious. And they thought they were really excited for me about it. And they, they made an emergency call at the Coliseum. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was this hilarious. Is, this is the L.A. Coliseum, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. LA, 1979, 1980. So, yeah. Wow. Did you have any visions of like where you would be sent uh, first? Like, was there anywhere you didn't want to go or Haiti sounded like just a place for you? None. None? No idea. Blue. Okay. What is Haiti except a really poor country in the Caribbean? That was my only apprehension. Haiti. Haiti. Why are they sending me to that poor? <laughs> I, I could use many adjectives, but not really in your mind. <laughs> Before you go there, uh, you would anticipate a wonderful place. Well, well, tell me, what do you, what do you remember anything about your first week arriving? Do you remember any details? Oh, look, I remember pulling up in the bus and seeing the animatura Mary. Mary was famous back then. And, and the chief of the village was Ben Buzmin and his, of course his wife Loli was with him. But Mary was the first one I saw in his huge, you know, hat. He had a, he had a, a, a large, uh, uh, like a, a straw hat and of course the perios everywhere which i was that was my first introduction to perios you know who knows what the hell they are and uh, but it was him sort of being goofy and goofing around and i i sort of designated him immediately as a person of importance in the village even though he was the goof like the fool an animator sort of right isn't that the definition yes but but i designated him an important important person in the village and as village life continued i learned more he was. He was really big with him and Ben did a lot of the organization together. Mary was a, a really heads up guy. So did you get any kind of a Club Med culture shock when you arrived? Like, for instance, uh, you mentioned Parios, but my, my culture shock was uh, like topless women everywhere, which I wasn't accustomed to. So any kind of Club Med culture shock hit you? Do you recall? You know, the biggest thing for Paul and I is, of course, we're Californians and we're wearing our boxer bathing suits. And we were ridiculed for our boxer bathing. The first, <laughs> okay. first, first months in, you know, we're wearing these boxer bathing suits. And of course, you know, the goal at Club Med as your GO is to see how small you can get your bikini. <laughs> That's right. I think that the smallest bikini wins. I in the end. <laughs> And the end ended up with string bikinis, you know, all of that. But that's okay. Later. Well, no, anyway. but but I'm sure, like when you got there, you probably because I I talked to someone else who said he said when he got there, same thing as you, shock. Oh my God, the guys are not wearing it. He goes, I will never ever in my life wear one of those. And two weeks later, he he had five of them. He said okay. <laughs> <laughs> because he you said know, they're just so damn comfortable. He told me, you know, my thing was my thing was um, 
I, I didn't want to be out, you know, that I didn't, I didn't look at it as odd. It was just, I knew Europeans were those. We would never wear Speedos here in, in the California, you know, vice versa. Right. But I, I wanted, I wanted to be part of the group. So Paul and I literally made an effort and we would, we went in like the first week and bought some Speedos and we would go on the beach by ourselves down at the end and, and try to tan it out and, and burn out the, um, the panel. <laughs> <laughs> from the boxers and get down to your uh, speedo 10 line i was was never put off by it it was more wanting to be part of the group as quick as possible and uh, how many of you were sent to this uh, choreographer stage like do you recall uh, well, 10 people 15, 15 of us yeah how, how many 15 15 okay and it was a full-on stage and approximately how long did it take uh, two months three months the, the stage was for the entire season we went oh. there in and so the season had started in October, right? We got arrived in December and we were to stay until the end of the season and assignment to new villages, which would happen on the normal end of the season time. So there was never any end of time period. We didn't know when we were going. As a matter of fact, I made a tremendous error. I went through it and went through until about March and, and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. I said, well, I'll go wait at home. So I literally left the village and waited home and I think I almost missed my club red experience because I think that put them off. And then eventually it took two months before I got a call to that second village to Cancun or that, that first village really for me to Cancun. So I think I made a mistake there and, and said, well, no one really told me, no, you have to stay. You should stay wherever you are, you know, sort of thing. There were never any time uh, constraints or designations of the, of the stage. All right. And but in your bio, and as I mentioned in your intro, you went to be, part of this choreographer stage, but something happened along the way and you became a, a lighting engineer? Yeah. And it happened to me in college as well. I, I won the scholarship, obviously, for acting. But when I was in theater, I had switched over to technical theater and eventually was working for a degree in stage management with a minor in political science. If I couldn't be a theater guy, I was going to be a, a, a I was going to be a politician <laughs> anyway. So uh I, uh, and I was just studying law a little bit too. I was, you know, trying to back up everything I could, but you didn't know where you were going to go. What uh, What was the genesis that, or the spark that made you change? Oh, in I Club Med? Did, yeah. So anyway, I, I switched over to tech and theater, and the same thing happened at Club Med. I, I was with all the actors there, and it wasn't they weren't really Club Med people. They were more active people, and I didn't enjoy time with them except one. I fell in love with Veronique, my first French girl. But other than her, um, I just really didn't enjoy the group too much. And I started hanging out with the light engineer, Dominique. And Dominique and I started partnering up. I had, you know, I didn't come to Club Med poor. So I, I funded him for the blackjack table once a week. And at the end of the season, we each had over $500 in, in orange beets. Oh, wait, wait a minute, Doug. Are you saying you, you staked him? Yes, I staked Dominique. And he was he, that good at cards? He was great. Okay. So do you recall what you were, if it's not a too personal question, how much money you were making a month back then in 1980? $500. $500 a oh, month. Oh, 500 Wow. So I made less than you in 1994. Okay. <laughs> isn't, it supposed, isn't salary supposed to go up, not down? Okay. <laughs> they say that, but that's that's what it was. And that wasn't anything. But if, of course, you didn't spend a penny of it. So I would, you know, be very healthy and end the season with about, you know, 2500 bucks in my pocket. Okay. So I take it you weren't a smoker or a drinker then? Not too much, a little bit of both, but, okay. but as, you know, moderation. And I tried to find it free where I could in the drinking part. 
Now, where was the, uh, I've never been to Haiti, so was the casino close to the club bed where you would stake it your was, friend? It wasn't a casino. We would do casino night around the bar. and with, so With the, real cash? No, with bar beads. Oh, Barbie. Okay, sorry. I thought, with, I thought, I thought you meant you bought bar beads with the money after. Okay. <laughs> no, we actually, I staked him to bar beads. And the thing was the with the blackjack, uh, um, dealer takes push. If it's oh. a tight so we had that advantage and we cleaned up so like i said i ended up with 500 dollars worth of orange bar beads and, the, <laughs> and not only that like for the, also the push did they did they have just one shoe or like well they probably weren't changing the cards that often i'm guessing too, right? would work on a shoe he had probably four decks in it and okay he would shuffle it out and 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 it was he was playing straight up you know we weren't trying to do anything they won as you know as much as they would win but uh we always at the end of the day were on we're up well, it's good about the uh, the bar beads was when you got pushed in the pool, they floated to the surface, right? I mean, that was the one advantage. I so didn't what, really like tickets in the winter villages. That's right. Yeah. Well, if you forgot them in your jeans and put them in a the wash, well, yeah. Gone forever. That's right. What What else do you remember from your first season? Anything unusual happen? Any funny stories? Um, well, well, there's Dominique. The Vendredi Tres, which was one of the ships in the the large ships and they just had that big show in new york in 1980 with the tall ship so it was one of them and it was at the village the whole season i was there obviously ben as as chief of the village was was really important to me he and lily sort of not really took me that they were just friendly with all new geos they they really cared about about where you were going and so it was ben eventually who three seasons later took me out of uh, being a light engineer to being an animateur because he had seen that in me and he had been an animateur and he taught me how to be an animateur. And that was in Paradise Island three seasons later. Uh, another thing that happened when I was in Haiti that I will never forget, the second week we were there, a uh, baby doc visited. Now, he's the dictator of, uh, of Haiti at that time. Uh, Papa Doc had died about oh, eight years earlier, I think, and baby doc was now president and he came to Club Med. Baby Dog Duvalier came? Sir, Baby Dog Duvalier. Okay. Yeah, I guess you don't forget something like that. Okay. No, I watched him walk across the restaurant far on the other side. And I remember we were sitting with a guest from the island. And I refer how interesting we had Baby Doc and he freaked out. Don't okay. You don't you dare. He like warned me. Don't you dare say that in this country. Don't you. that? No, that's not a term we use ever. I'm shocked you would even. I mean, I hear you read me the rights. I was, I was a little scared for a moment. Okay. Wow. Okay. Now, so May, May 81, they send you to Cancun as light engineer with Mike Coltman, correct? That's correct. It was Mike. I forget his wife's name. I, I She was also, all the wives of the CDBs were important. Um, she was always there and around, but yeah, it was Mike. Mike was from England? Yeah. Okay. So how was your season in Cancun as light engineer? So Cancun started, as I said, it was different because I I went two months before I arrived and there was a lot of doubt whether I was even going to stay in Club Med. I, I, I realized that I had made that terrible error, but eventually got the call and got called down their lights. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the village uh, that I posted, but it is of all of the village I worked at the most old, rustic, antique Equipment. I, I think I, I got electrical shocks working on that electrical system uh, once a week. It was a regular thing. So you had to be very careful at Club Med. There were dangerous things around there that you could uh, you could really hurt yourself with if you weren't, you know, up and about your business. So anyway, that old light board and doing the lights there. But the really important thing that happened to me when I was in Cancun is I started doing a pre-dinner dance. 
And, and it was sort of like repeated. And, and I got to where there were repeated movements. And I just got up there and started leading them. And that led to um, Mike inviting me and the chief of excursions, Richard, to do a rock and roll show. So Richard and I did this rock and roll show based a lot on Bye Bye Birdie and um, West Side Story. You know, Krupke was in it, that sort of thing. And and we put this show together because, you know, Mike obviously didn't, wasn't happy with the register. That happened a lot going to Village and the entertainment just wasn't rolling, you know. And so we did that show. It was a, it was a good success. And then that brings me to the second experience in a DC3. Because Richard was trying to organize better excursions. And one of the ones he was doing was to Chichen Itza, which everyone wanted to visit. So he did a test uh, excursion with GOs, and I volunteered to go, and we went. Went to the Cancun airport, jumped in this DC-3, fly into Chichen Itza. The air airplane goes to land, and I have never been in an airplane that was braking so hard on upon landing. Just counter-rotating the props and braking like crazy. I'm thinking, what's going on? And finally, when he stopped the plane and turned around, we were literally 10 feet from the edge of the cliff. I mean, it was amazingly close, you know? And, and so we go there, we have the day, and it was nice. I climbed up inside the pyramid of Chichen Itza and crawled up the top and took a took picture, you know, was in the, the ball ring where the, if you win the game, you get killed sort of thing. And I remember that historical lesson. And then we got back on the plane and the takeoff, it went down the same, same runway and we reached the end and sort of went off the end and dipped. You know, we had, didn't have enough speed yet. So it just sort of went down in the valley and then picked up speed and picked up and we made it back to Cancun. And Richard said, no, we'll make that a bus trip. <laughs> yeah. Was the uh, was the pilot doing this as part of the thrill of the excursion or? No, okay. doing it Because that was the only way to get the plane up and down. And there okay. were other planes there. He wasn't the only one doing it, but it was just it was just too. I think it was too much on the edge. I think Richard saw visions of club meds being sued into forever anyway, as the chief of excursions things that go through his mind so uh yeah but i got to have that experience and that was that was quite wonderful i really enjoyed that you have any other uh stories like the uh, dc3 that happened at cancun any any kind of crazy funny stories doug you know there's a couple things that happen i'll go through them quickly you know one of the day i arrived in cancun i was walking from the the main center where the discotheque is up to where the typical restaurant is in the sailing area so there's a bit of a walk uh, along the uh, along a marsh pretty much and um i got shit on by a pelican there are huge there's pelicans all over cancun it's wonderful to sit there and watch them diving into the ocean and picking up birds i mean they do it constantly all day long so it's quite a show but i didn't know that at the time and i was just walking along and pelican shit is not something to wait, be tried. wait doug are you saying a pelican defecated <laughs> on you is that what you're saying pardon me yes i i'm 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 sorry for that no problem an appropriate word yes he did defecate from rather a high altitude and it landed all down the side of my right leg i mean literally from hip to shoe covered covered and i thought in my first day this i'm walking around the village to see what it did i thought oh god (laughs) is this going to be and so inauspicious but it didn't mean anything i just thought i'd share that I made some good friends there that I'll never forget. One of them was Vince. Vince was a British guy, and he taught me, here's another cuss word, bollocks. I'd never heard that word before, and Vince used it constantly. So um, I hope that's appropriate or not. Sure. Oh, yeah, you you could swear in English slang. That's no problem. (laughs) Right. And, And Vince was in love with a girl named Michelle. 
Well, Michelle was also had previously been the girlfriend of the gestionnaire. I forget his name. French guy. Nice guy. Really handsome guy. And Vince was a good looking guy. Anyway, so we did a, a geo show. It was a, a lip sync playback show, as they all were. But this was sort of a rock and roll lip sync. And he came out and he dedicated his song to Michelle, the one he loves. And so we were we were the following act. So Vince comes right in and go, no. This song goes to Michelle, the one who loves me. <laughs> and, we did, and we did Twist and Shout. And we did it, uh, uh, the sound engineer had uh, a version of the music where he had blotted out the, the song. And so we literally sang it. We sang Twist and Shout with the musical background. And that was, uh, that was quite different than what they normally did at Club Med. And we won the contest. Hence won the girl. So that, that was fun. Um, the, the last thing I really want to talk about is um, the 4th of July. There was a chief of sports who, I got again the name, I don't remember. Someone will probably remember. He was pretty well known. And he came out and we were doing 4th of July and he would always say, Cancun. Here we are at Cancun. It became a thing. So he goes, uh, we're doing the, the fireworks show and and his uh, um, the island at the end of the, the string of of bungalows that goes out to this island in the middle of lagoon is sort of an abandoned island out there well we set up some of the fireworks from there and the island caught on fire <laughs> and, and, and so it's burning away and the and the, the chief was supposed to say, and here we are in cancun we're going to burn the island <laughs> just, just nice 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 save okay <laughs> we're gonna burn the island were there were there palapas on this island no, no, they oh. were they were you know concrete bungalows. Uh, oh. If you know Moon, they run for at that time. It ran from the pool center, and the bungalows went out like in two wings. One wing heading up towards the restaurant Tipic and sailing, and all of that, and the other wing heading out towards this island where it just ended. You okay. didn't go, didn't leave the bungalows towards the island. You came towards the disco and the pool. The last thing about Cancun I want to say is I met Pierre Salinger there. We had lunch. Uh, they always did those big meetings in and around Club Men in Cancun. And this was a G88 meeting that they were having there. And Pierre Salinger, who was John F. Kennedy's um, press secretary, had lunch with me. And I talked as much as I could remember historically, but he wasn't really interested in going over the assassination very much. This, so you had lunch with Pierre Salinger? Yeah. Oh, that's well, pretty incredible. Him, him, I, and six other people at the table for eight, well, right? Well, sure. But how did you how did you know who he was? Oh, recognized him right away. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Pierre Salinger was a pretty famous news guy when I was growing up. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I knew who he was. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, you're a California boy, right, Doug? Yes, sir. So you're from California. You go to you go to Magic Katie for season in Cancun. So what's it like going to the snow in Copper Mountain? Never. I, I, I'm sorry, Greg. Pardon me. No, it's okay. I was just curious. Did you did you ask request the snow village or you were just sent there? No, I, I never really requested a village ever. I, I sometimes got in touch with chief of villages I knew and say, hey, can I go with you? You know, that sort of thing. I'm, it was much more important to me, the, the personalities than the village itself. Uh, when I was sent to Copper, I knew how to ski. I was a skier. I had learned to do that when I was younger, but uh, I had never requested or imagined that I would be sent to a winter village. And how did you like it or not? Well, I drove there. Oh, so, you did? Okay. Yeah, got, got my car and, uh, you know, I had a, an old 69 uh, Carmen Ghia, if you remember those. And, oh, yeah. Uh, 
I had the ski rack on it, so I threw my skis on it and uh, drove to Colorado. Uh, that was an interesting experience. Driving through Utah, there was a whiteout on the freeway. Um, of course, the whiteout was only four feet high. So as I got out of my car and stood up, you could see fine. So, so but when you were in the car, it was a whiteout. So I got behind a, a semi and just followed him for 300 miles and until we got out of it. That was my first experience long driving in snow. That was that was major. What the hell am I doing <laughs> driving through the snow? But it's a beautiful drive. It really is. You have a good season there. I did. I did. I, you know, the, the, it's the, the winter village. I did Copper Mountain three times. And as I, I, I shared with you earlier, Greg, they sort of blend together, which is different from what. What I do remember about the first season is that was the season that um, Jean-Claude Keeley came to the village uh, with Jim Carrey and Alan Thicke. Oh, for the movie. You were there yeah. when they filmed the movie Club Med. Yeah. They filmed Copper Mountain, the Club Med. Oh, that's experience. right. Yes, yes. Wow. So you saw Jim Carrey uh, before he was a big shot. Yeah, I watched him do that stupid song, song he did for about three minutes and thought, that's the stupidest thing I ever saw. And then, um, you know, they normally hung around the the fireplace there. Him and Alan Thick, they'd hang around. They were pretty nice guys. They were funny just to sit and talk to. And they would sit and talk to you. They hung around in the evening. Uh, the biggest thing that happened was Rita Coolidge did a concert and so I had to spend the day setting up the lighting for her concert. And then the concert never made the movie. So, well, can I ask one question about that movie? Now, was the Copper Mountain shut down for the whole production of this movie or was were there guests there, too, while they were filming? Oh, no, no, it was open. There were guests there. It was a full blown open. In fact, the no one was really concerned too much about the movie, except the extra work we had to do. The big thing was John Keeley was coming. And the chief of the village, you know, he helicoptered him and him and the chief of the village went and skied a uh, helicopter skiing for the day. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's that's pretty cool because uh, everyone, a lot of people I know have seen this movie, but no one was actually there, you know, working there as a geo while they were filming it. So that, that's pretty incredible. It was not intrusive. It really wasn't. They, they, they did some scenes around the bar, but they normally did those scenes during the day when everyone was out skiing. Um, you know, they picked their times right when the village was empty to do that, that kind of stuff. It always looks like nighttime in there anyway. So what the hell? I think the other thing I really enjoyed about Copper Mountain is uh, my friend Jim. We were in Cancun together, and then we he was a ski instructor, so he was at Copper. And I went to a local, I forget the name of the local towns, and I bought some aquatic newts, of all things, about 12 of them. And I had them in an aquarium in my room, and we would rotate them out every week. And every week we did newt racing in the lobby. Uh, sorry, you, sorry, Doug, just for the listeners. What What is an, an aquatic newt? Well, a newt, it's like a gecko. Oh, okay. Least, right? Uh, it, again, in my pictures, there's pictures of Jim and I uh, that I posted on the Geo site that show us racing newts, if you want to see what exactly that is. But um, they sort of crawl along like geckos do, and they some of them go and some of them don't. We learned if you touch, touch their tail, they'll go. So, um, yeah, we'd had people bet on them and come and cheer for them. It was hilarious. It really was. Now, were they betting bar beads again? Bar, well, bar tickets. Oh, yeah, bar tickets at this point. Okay. <laughs> well, at the, the, the winter villages, it was always bar tickets. Oh, really? Was it? Okay. No beads. Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, it's okay if I jump ahead to Fort Royal, Doug. Please do. Where uh, where exactly is Fort Royal? Was, was that in Guadeloupe? Where, where was it yeah, again? In Guadeloupe, it's on uh, the the Basse-Terre. There's Grand Terre and Basse-Terre. This is on the the Basse-Terre, the, the the part of the island with the capitals on. I believe the Caravelle was on the Grand Terre part, and I, and that's very fuzzy my memory of that island, but I'm pretty sure that's right. 
and at one point, I, I know Fort Wael cl- closed and they kept Caravel, correct? Yeah, Caravel's the only one they kept. I don't know if I believe it's still open. I believe yes. they still have yeah. it's still open. But uh, yeah, Fort Wael, Fort Wael was sort of strange. It, it was never really, it wasn't made as a club med. It was a hotel out on a peninsula on a rocky point, sort of. And then down below, there was a, a grassy area for land sports and then a beach. So they did sailing and windsurfing on the beach and they had, they built a pool and uh, all the guests stayed in the hotel. Basically it was, uh, you know, five stories of, uh, you know, hotel living. Okay. And, that, and there you were also in addition to lights, you were, you were DJing as well, correct? I was doing DJ. That was when Madonna first was coming out. So uh, I got the request for Like a Virgin, and I was still into Prince uh, 1984. That's right, because <laughs> yeah, right now we're at, we're in June 1984, and you're in Fort Royale. That's right. Madonna's uh, right. is coming out now. How did you get your music back then? They would send records. They oh, would send okay. 33 inch LPs to the villages. Uh, they would go first to the sound engineer and then to the DJ. I remember when we were. I remember when I was in Haiti when Michael Jackson's thriller came out and what a big deal that was for everyone in the village in club med. I mean, so many things came out of thriller, uh, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's, that's another story. Yeah. There's a lot of number one. So it's, it's like almost any side you play, right. You're playing hits. <laughs> Always. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other memories from Fort Royale? You know, Fort Royale was, was sort of a transition village. I had done those I had gone to Haiti, Cancun, Copper Mountain, Paradise Island. I'd been to Mauritius. I'd been to Bora Bora, back to Copper Mountain. And then I had some job offers in New York. So I took a couple months off. And, and I went to uh, um, Chicago. I drove to Chicago and New York. And the, the job offers went well. I, I got a couple offers, but that really wasn't where I was at. So I drove all the way back from New York to, uh, went to Washington. My dad was visiting there and we did something together the, in D.C. And then I drove back to California. And uh, went on to, to to Fort Royale. When I when I got there, it was lights and DJ. And I guess the most memorable thing we did was we all of us dressed up as um, iguanas. We put on long tights and flippers on our hands and feet and climbed up in the trees about a mile from the village. There were like fifteen of us. And then we did the 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 night of the iguana, where all of the guests we had a special excursions to see the mating of the iguanas, and it only mm-hmm. happened once a year. And so we put all these guests in a bus at four in the morning, got them up and drove them out to this like little forest. And there's 15 geos. Oh, no. I've I've heard these stories from the 80s. So how irate were some of the guests when they found out they weren't actually seeing real mating geckos? Half and half. Okay, half and half. Okay, Rolling on the ground, hilarious. And the ones that were laughing sort of took the spirit out of the ones that were pissed. But some people really got pissed. They, yeah, they then they happy. filed filed a subsequent lawsuit and blah blah blah. Right? <laughs> I never heard about the lawsuits. The, okay. only, the only lawsuit that I ever had that I knew about was um, when I was in Extapa. This was later, of course, obviously. And uh, uh, they had fans in a number of villages. They used to have ventilator fans uh, blowing above the theater, and Extapa had like twenty of them. One of the the fans broke loose and spun down and hit a guy right between the eyes. Yeah, I had that happen to me in Columbus. One of the blades did, came off. <laughs> did you really? Well, oh, yeah. Well, it's a shared experience, though it wasn't personal by me. <laughs> no. But I, didn't get to see the re- I did get to see the result and deal with the result. I think about all the Super Bowls I watched in Club Med crowded into a room with 50 people trying to, you know, catch a glimpse of the action. You know, that, that those memories sort of come back. 
organize, trying to organize TV, being in entertainment, I always had access to the satellites and like in places like uh, Dominican Republic or, or other villages, I always was sort of organizing the clandestine TV viewing when uh, when possible. Now, in April 1985, you arrive at Playa. So after years of sound engineer and DJ lights, light engineer, am I correct that you became a choreographer and chief of animation in one shot? Yeah, I have to take you back a little bit. Sure, sure. From sight, lights and sound to um, regisseur, uh, to animateur when I went to uh, Paradise Island. And then immediately after that, I went to Mauritius Island, where I was supposed to be animateur again, but there was an animateur there. So I, I, I sort of did a little bit of, I hadn't done regisseur yet at that point. So I sort of, I, I had directed a show, so I and it was Mike Coltman again, right? So I, I sort of, okay, do the rock and roll show. We know you know that show. I did that. And since we had an animateur, I sort of did a little bit of the, but we had a regisseur also. So I sort of did a couple shows and then I went back to doing lights and I had a DJ and I did lights and DJ at Mauritius. And then at Mauritius and then uh, uh, Bora Bora, I was just, I was just lights. And then the next season at Copper Mountain, it was pure sound. And I was sound engineer for that season at Copper Mountain. Okay, and then in October 84, you go back to Magic Haiti to do the stage choreographer again? Exactly right. No, I do the stage again, but this time really to do it. Okay. Uh, And I got proven again. Ben Buznita came to Fort Royale and interviewed a lot of us and asked us where we wanted to go, we wanted to do. And I said that was what I wanted to do. And Ben had always been a fan of mine. You know, he knew me. So uh, I was able to move into that stage again. But I got four months into and that was my best village. I love that village. Love those people, Max and Steph and yes, and everyone there it was a magic four months. And I was the one they called because Copper Mountain had a sound engineer problem. So I was the one they called and I had to leave the village two months early to go be sound engineer at Copper Mountain where they were not having a good season. So it was uh, going from the most magical season I'd ever had to just another, you know, let's get her done season. But then, okay, now brings us up to April 85. So first time in Playa Blanca, and, correct? And I'm Regisseur, Chief of Animation. We don't have an animator. So I'm, I'm sort of doing some of that as well. Uh, I eventually did get an animator in there and he turned out to be pretty good. I, I, he didn't know what he was doing. But again, like me, I gave him the same advice someone had given me and he picked it up. So you can do it. So now did you? So this is your first official uh, village as a, um, a choreographer. So did you have any hard times getting geos to rehearse or anything? Yeah, I never pushed. Yeah, there's always a hard time. It becomes a different thing. Uh, you know, when you have shows to do every night, the circus guy would get hurt. I go, oh, got to go see. Well, are you going to be okay for tonight? He'd get mad at me. You're not even worried about me. You're just worried about your show. Well, yeah, <laughs> I am worried about my show. You know, I love you, Eric, and I care about you deeply, but. You know, you're not going to die. Can you do the show? You know, it's, 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 it was uh, he was one of the big characters. So that sort of thing, always the pressure to make sure the people were, you know, there and doing it. it, it it's a drag. It can be a, a if it's if you're not having great, great fun, it can be work like any other job. Well, sometimes. yeah. Well, it's the time of the rehearsal, right? So you're looking at 11, 1130 midnight. So that's I, I never had a problem dancing it was the rehearsal which you know you want me to memorize intricate dance steps at midnight i don't know if it's going to happen you know that well (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was but you know i'd put out a call and i always get generally enough people to show up the best thing i ever did was i tried to do things that they wanted to do 
Uh, I went and bought a bunch of roller skates one season and we did Starlight Express. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we put Starlight Express on stage where we actually did the roller skate races, the train races around the audience. And the first time we did it, I had geos coming up to me who had been around for 15 years. They were flabbergasted. They had never seen anything like it. And people were clamoring to join the show after we got it going. It was just um, when you do things that are different and a little bit special, uh, the people light up for it. I, that was the thing I was the most proud of, Starlight Express, being able to actually get that on stage. Did you like uh, Playa? Did you like the layout of it? You know, how it was a tiny village yet, you know, they kind of packed a lot, a lot in there. Very much. I had my room was way up at the top, at the very, very top in the back. Of course, Chief of Animation, I had my own room. I was you know, that climb. The view from my room was to die for every day I woke up counting my blessings. I love the village layout itself for what for what I was doing. It was perfect. The pool was very interesting. It even had a sandy beach part that went down in the beach that late at night at the discos, uh, girls would remember that spot sort of thing. It was just, I like Ken, I like uh, Playa Block a lot. I really enjoyed the village. Okay. And then after Playa, still over in October 1985, they send you to Eleuthera for the same type of deal. Uh, Chief of animation and uh, choreographer. Geez, I hope you got a stipend. I hope you got a stipend for this, Doug. <laughs> you know, it was all 500 a month. Okay. <laughs> 500 a month. Plus whatever you win from the uh, the, the newt races, right? <laughs> you, know, you know that stuff. And as I went, I had to remember that after um, after we did finish that first season, and all that gambling, I did take five hundred dollars worth of orange beads to Cancun. I did drink champagne when I wanted. So <laughs> for that for that full season, I never wanted for for bar bar funds. So is Eleuthera as beautiful as everyone says? Yes, it's a, it's a sliver of a village. It's 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 organized much like Paradise Island in the sense that it runs along a, a long strip and it's sort of compressed to the beach, so it's long up against the beach. Yeah, Luther was brilliant. It was really fun. I think I, I it was with the interesting that happens there. Uh, Bruce Jenner came there when he was still Bruce Jenner, and um, I had to chaperone him around. They were doing a radio presentation. That was the village where we took the famous Christmas pictures where I got the six or seven of the prettiest geos and the four or five or six of the biggest hunks. And we all went down to the beach and we made Christmas cards for each other. All the girls, there was one girl at a time with all the guys around her and then one guy at a time with all the girls around him. And we took these great club med Christmas pictures for ourselves. And it was, uh, yeah, that was a highlight. You have a photo of that, right? I think. I, I think I did post one of the group. I lost the one of just me. And the girls. I did post the one of the group. Yeah. Well, listeners, Doug has a great photo. So when when I do his episode and post it on Facebook, he's going to give me some of those photos so you can see them all if you haven't yet. So they're outstanding. <laughs> this is why Doug is here today. All right. Um, now, what have I not asked you already that you wanted to talk about? Just want to, I mean, we're still going forward, but what uh, is there anything I, I missed or a story that you wanted to say about a certain village? You know, I would, I would like to go back to Mauritius Island. Sure. And Let's go back to Mauritius. You know, I November did November 82, correct? Yeah, I did Haiti, Cancun, Copper Mountain, Paradise Island in a row. And then in Paradise Island, again, I was with Ben Buznina there and I was he had made me and I was an animateur. And that's where I learned to be an animateur. That's all I did at Paradise Island and actually became really good at it. And who was going to be chief of the village of Mauritius, Mauritius Island? Mike Coltman. So Mike Coltman invited me to Mauritius, where as an animateur, but when I got there, there was an animateur, so I ended up doing lights and DJ. 
But Mauritius Island is a special place. It truly is. It's the most beautiful island. I'm not going to say it was my best season because it wasn't my best team, my favorite team. But for a, a village itself, amazing. Walking home from the discotheque every night and the, the moonlight shining on the ocean every night between the palm trees, it was beyond magical every night. I, I just, I, it blows me away that I went through six months of that magic all the time. It was, it was just, they make movies about it. The mountains of Mauritius, I believe, are the ones they use at the opening of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The mountains off in the distance. So anyway, yeah, uh, Mauritius will always hold a special place. I, I met Peggy, though, and her and I were together that whole season. And I just recently learned that she passed away. And, and that's, that's and just I learned that by post, post, pushing these pictures. And of course, there's pictures of Peggy there and at the Mauritius Island, her and I together in those shots. And someone posted that, yeah, she passed away in childbirth. And that um, sort of broke my heart. So Mauritius will always be a very special place for me. Um, I love it there. I did. That's where I learned to barefoot water ski, Mauritius. That water ski team was really good. You, you learned to barefoot there? Yeah, I was always a good water skier. Dad raced the boats and we water ski raced when I was a kid and I could slalom pretty well. But that's where I learned to to barefoot. Yeah. Do you how many times did you uh, eat it, so to speak, before you? Oh, many, many times until you you, you get it. OK, OK. <laughs> the biggest thing about barefooting is you learn to fall. You learn to roll that shoulder and not kill yourself and then uh, come out of it ready to do it again. The first two times I fell. I was amazed at how much the groin area was affected and you learn to protect yourself. <laughs> you have to wear a cup, right? When you barefoot. Well, yeah, yeah. Or protect yourself. Yeah. That sort of thing. So, so yeah, I really enjoyed Mauritius and the magic magical thing coming out of Mauritius is they sent me from there to Bora Bora. Yeah. It was like from magic to magic. And the trip was from Mauritius to Africa to Paris to Los Angeles to Tahiti to Bora Bora. So oh all, my God. all the way around the world. And when you got on the plane to go from uh, Mauritius to Paris, it was uh, you get on the plane to give you a bag. I thought, oh, nice. No, that were your three meals in a bag. Here you go. And this is your food for the trip. <laughs> oh <And> my God. <laughs> coming down from Paris, it was packed, but flying back from Mauritius, it was almost empty. So we were able to stretch out. That was nice. Well, uh, wait, Doug, are you saying that you went from Il Maurice to Bora Bora without taking a vacation? I stopped three days in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I got three oh, okay. days. Okay, okay, good. Three days, which is which is quite a lot back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was honest. It was on the way. It was the stop I had to make anyway to connect up to go to Tahiti. So, um, and yeah, of course, flying into Tahiti and then jumping on the plane and taking the the little plane to Bora Bora and the airstrip out on the coral reef and then the boat into the village itself, which uh, faces the Motu Tapu, which is the club's private island at that time. It was all a, a, a more, more Bora Bora also. You could ride around the, the island in two hours on a bicycle. Uh, Bora Bora is what it is, and it's nothing can can touch it. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. I, again, I don't have a lot of... Uh, Petulia Clark came there and, and recorded uh, some... She had some recordings of piano, and she sang for us. So Petulia Clark downtown and all that. Oh, wow. Know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She sang at the at Bora Bora. I had people because it was from Los Angeles. There were, you know, they make friends with the guests. That's how. That's look. You love your GOs, but you live with the guests, and and so you know you you make friends with them. And they were from where I was from. One time, um, I was I was talking to someone about my favorite burrito place, El Papiac. And so the next week, uh, the group arrives from LA. Going, one of them has a bag. Going, where's Doug? Where's Doug? Where's Doug? 
evidently they'd gone to the airport. They'd gone to El Tapiac and then gone to the airport and found the group going to Club Med and found someone going to Bora Bora and gave them the burrito for me. Do you believe that? I I, I do, but I'm wondering how was that burrito? Was it still good? Like after all those Look, hours? <laughs> it arrived literally 11 hours later. That's not so bad. No, I, I heated it up and everyone was eating. Well, look, on Bora Bora, it's one of the few places where I truly do love to eat fish. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was that was fun sitting there eating my burrito in a corner, offering to share it. And no one wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't I take, take the chance there. <laughs> a unique experience, uh, a burrito from El Tapiac. And then, of course, Timmy and the boat and the outrigger canoes, of course, they were you know, uh, outboard outriggers. And so you would, they would load up up to 15 or 20 people in these long outboard outriggers and go to the Motu Kapu. Timmy was always on the look for stuff. He would stop a couple of times. He'd stop and most everyone in the water immediately. One time I jumped in the water and there was a school of uh, manta, huge giant manta rays, 50. And we were right in the middle of them. It was amazing. Wow. Amazing. Must have been beautiful. Yeah. It really was. The last day I was there, uh, four of us took, you know, we had the day off. So we just took a windsurf and we we windsurfed, not around the island, but to one end and then the other from the Mototapo all the way to the Hotel Bora Bora and back to the Mototapo. And when we were coming back to the Motu, there was, uh, starting to rain, a little drizzle, there was a double rainbow. And I'm thinking, I, and I said, remember, I said to the girl, you know, Laura, that this is so appropriate. I'm, I'll never come back to Bora Bora. This is just so, so magnificent way to say goodbye. And she, oh, no, you'll be back. Don't worry. You'll come back someday. No, <laughs> I've never been back. I don't ever, I will never go back. Bora Bora is what it is. I don't know if I'd want to see it today. I'd say they've completely built it out and it's another village. Now there's no Club Med, obviously. So from uh, December 80 to April 86 or October 86, you seem to have quite the celebrity encounters. Was there one celebrity encounter that that's your favorite or or you just like them all for different reasons? Yeah, you know, I, I met Timmy at the Bora Bora. You can see him on um, the fifth element. If you know the fifth element, they arrive at Floston Paradise and it's a it's a club med arrival. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's a club med arrival with a chief of the village and Timmy there singing the song in Tahitian and it's a whole Tahitian uh, arrival kind of thing. So that's, it was nice to meet him. And he's a sort of famous singer in, uh, in Tahiti. I, I told the story about Sean Connery when they were filming Never Say Never Again and all of them came through Paradise Island to, to have lunch that day. They were invited. Carrera walks through, Kim Basinger walks through and you don't really know who they are. Kim Basinger was unknown then. And, but you know, Sean Connery, and I'm doing the bar game where you bounce the ball into the bottle, bucket of champagne. And if it'll stay up on the ice, you get to keep the bucket. And so um, Sean walks by and I said, I invited him for the game. Sean, come on, give it a try. No, 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 no. And of course, I did the terrible thing. Come on, folks. If you want to see Sean try the game, of course, everyone, yay. Come on, Sean, what's he going to do? So he come over with a very, you know, he sort of gave me a look. He did. Mm -hmm. uh, but he smiled at all the people, did it twice, and then went on to lunch. But yeah, that was probably my closest encounter of the third kind. I did meet Sade before she was famous. Muriel Hemingway came to Paradise Island with this singer said that she's already famous. You just don't know who she is what, who she is yet. And she sang for us there, and it was Sade. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah. amazing. We're sitting with Muriel Hemingway going, Muriel, come on, tell me who she is. Come on, show me who, who is this. And I got to know Muriel Hemingway pretty well. Which is, well, yeah, was she Ernest Hemingway's, uh, she's related to Ernest Hemingway, right? I yeah, his grandniece or something like that. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think yeah. it's more direct. Yeah, but I got to know her a little bit. And then Sade was there. 
that same village, um, a submarine came and visited. We invited them all in the island. So the, the captain invited, invited us all on the submarine when we could. Wait a minute. Right? What, uh, submarine where? What country? This was American submarine was visiting Nassau. Really? Okay. So, island. So we invited them all to the village and um, they were there. And then the captain invited, hey, anytime you guys want to visit the submarine conference. The very next morning, I got the 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 rubber inflated uh, the the sailing um, rubber uh, outboard, and I took it out to the just took it right out, jumped in it myself, and just went out there. And I said, "Hey, the captain, I'm in my perio. I kid you not." And I I, I go out there and said, "Hey, the captain, I'm Doug from Club Med." And so they threw a rope down. I literally, you know, scaled the side of the submarine with a rope. Right? They tied off the, the little dinghy I came in. Went in, went into the submarine. I was sitting in the captain's cabin talking to the captain when the chief of the village showed up. <laughs> I'm sitting at the top of the calendar. The chief of the village is on a tour. He hasn't seen the captain yet. I'm sitting talk, talking to the captain. He walks right by. There's the chief. Oh, hi, Doug. Hi, Captain. <laughs> Only in Club Med, right? <laughs> oh, the amazing. It was the, oh, it was, what was the, I, the sun something. I don't remember. I don't remember the name. I have the little the little tag that goes on your 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 breast that they give you being a submariner. They gave me one of those, and it was fun. Yeah, did, that's. Did, did they let you? Did they get let you practice turning the key? I'm just kidding. No, they didn't you know, do that. Walk through, they had a lot of stuff covered. They had a okay. lot of stuff covered to for. Yeah, they didn't want you to see everything. Yeah, or you know, press the wrong thing by accident. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got well, to talk that if he had nuclear weapons and stuff and he said well we don't have nuclear missiles but we do have nuclear tomahawks okay <laughs> okay nice that, okay that works <laughs> um okay doug now uh we're getting close to the end but you have uh, if i'm not mistaken you have graciously agreed to continue continue your story at another time yes is this still the case my pleasure you know i i'm i was at clubman for 10 years the memories all get that's why it's sort of disjointed this conversation because as I remember things, they're from different places at different times. And was that that season or this season? And so I'm just sharing them. Hopefully it makes sense as they come up, but yeah, I stopped after uh, what village was that? Maybe you remember. Well, you, I. yeah, you stopped, I believe in uh, Punta Cana in January, 91. So well, when we ended club med, but I stopped for about oh, you, after oh. Paris Island. Yeah, you took about a two-year break. So two-year break. Yeah. So when we when we join up again, we'll, we'll cover like July eighty-eight to uh, January ninety-one. So so I just have one more question before we go. If I ask sure. you now, what are the three things you miss the most about Club Med? What would you say? In any order, doesn't matter the order. The people and the environment. There's no third. Okay. The people I was with and the places I was at. That's what made it rich for me, whether they were geos or GMs, it was always about the people. The environment was great, but funny, my, my favorite village isn't my best season. My best season is a, a season I'd done it for a second time, but the team was magic. That was magic. That was magic Haiti, right? You, that was your yeah. favorite team in October 84. Exactly right. Yeah. And so you, you, I think of that time so fondly. I mean, it's just, it has such a, a, my heart almost cries when I think about it because it was so special. Um, other seasons, less so. The places were nicer, but, you know, not as great an experience. But so it was really the, uh, that geo team there that was probably, yep. you, you never the really people, encountered it ag again, right? Not quite like that. 
never, never that kind of environment of that sort of familiarness, that family atmosphere being together every day, 24, seven, 365, as it were. Yeah. It's a, it's very unique working for club med, especially back then. And we moved a lot every six months. I, I heard later they didn't move so much, but we, we moved a lot. And there was a lot of anxiety in the move, going to a new place every six months, all the time and dealing, you know, restarting again. But that kept it fresh. I think it was that anxiety that that kept the villages on their on their on their toes, if you will, and uh, you didn't get into a routine that was negative to the village, and that worked out. All right. Well, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna say uh, so long to you. We are gonna say see you later, Doug, because uh, I would like to hear the rest of your story at a future date. So uh, I would love to have you back on, and I do want to thank you for sharing your story with us here today. Very kind of you. Greg, my pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to let me share them. I, I've had these in me for so long. No one really wants to talk about the old days of Club Med amongst my friends. And uh, every time I bring the pictures out, my wife sort of groans. So, <laughs> so I thank you very much for letting me share them. You are always most welcome here, Doug. <laughs> well, everyone, that was Doug Evanson. Rest assured, he will be back and we'll see you all next week. Say bye, Doug. Bye-bye, everyone.